overcame everything, overcame every, everything that, that we fear. God, your son overcame death. It was only Jesus. It was only Jesus, God. And I pray that with this morning, we find a comfort in that. We find a refuge in that. That our hearts would desire more of you, not less. In fact, that we would decrease, Father. And our desire would be to pour our hearts into you more. To learn you more. To worship you more. Because it was your son who gave mankind the greatest gift that we've ever received. Can we celebrate that this morning? I pray that our hearts are made right or set right with you right now as we worship you. We love you. In your son's name we pray and we ask this. resurrected King God and I pray that right now in this place right now that our hearts would lift up towards yours that there would be a revival in every single heart in this place right now that we wouldn't just be singing songs 
but we would be able to sing right now to you, pray to you right now, that by your spirit I will rise. I will rise from the ashes of defeat. And with my job and with my family, whether I go to school, whether I'm at home,
dwelling in here and find my rest. Without you, without you, I fall apart. You're the one that guides my heart. like we say these words too lightly. Without you, I fall apart. You're the one that I desperately desire to guide my heart. Father, if that's not happening, self behind me, not beside me, behind me, and my next step would be for your glory.
Spirit right here, right now, that you'd be the center of our ministry that you've given us. Your ministry. We love you. We do this in your son's beautiful and holy name. Amen. You guys can be seated. Well, good morning, everybody. Why don't you go ahead and grab your Bibles and open up to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, we're going to be continuing in our Jesus is Greater series. And uh, if we haven't gotten a chance to meet, my name is James. I sometimes play bass in the worship band and uh, my family and I, we've been coming here to merge for the last couple of years or so. And uh, Brandon and Misty, they're... uh, they're out celebrating their anniversary, so uh, I have the privilege of, of being able to open up God's Word with y'all and, and, uh, and share what the Lord has been teaching me as I've been studying this scripture over the last couple of weeks. So before we get started, um, I want you to think about the last time that you went for a long run, okay? Maybe it was a part of your, your CrossFit workout of the day. I know some of you teenagers, you run cross-country. Uh, Some of us adults, we probably haven't uh, gone for a long run in a long time, but whenever it was, I want you to really picture that last time you went for a long run. Imagine all of it. Imagine the, the sweat, the huffing and puffing, the shin splints, the moments of feeling like you want to give up. And I want you to have this image in your head because the Bible compares the Christian life to a long endurance race. A race that lasts your entire lifetime. A race where you take spiritual strides, you drip spiritual sweat, and you push through spiritual obstacles. And so you can imagine that if running a mile in ten minutes has its challenges, that our race that lasts a lifetime is going to have its challenges too. And this is where the writer of Hebrews is going to help us today. He's going to train us how to run with endurance by giving us four directions that will help us cross the finish line. And those directions are going to be inspiration, repentance, focus, and joy. And we'll uh, unpack those in a minute. But before we go any further, let me go ahead and read our verses to us. And then we'll pray. And then we'll get started. Hebrews chapter 12 verses 1 and 2. God's Word says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you for this morning. We thank you that we can gather here together to worship you. We thank you, Father, that your word is timeless, and we thank you that as we open up this passage, this ancient passage, God, it has very, very real implications for our lives today. I pray that as we go throughout this scripture, you would help us, you would stir up our hearts, stir up our our bodies, our lives, help us to run with endurance with the directions that you give us this morning. I pray that as we look to Christ, we would be dazzled by Christ and what he's done for us. And I pray, I ask, Father, just for a taste a taste of that joy that was set before Jesus, that that would fall upon us this morning as we walk through this text together. That your presence would move in our hearts in very real and tangible ways. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you that you're here with us, and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 
All right, so uh, the first direction the writer of Hebrews gives us to run the Christian race with endurance is to find inspiration. He says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also. So inspiring stories, they have a way of motivating us to do hard things, don't they? Uh, One example from my own life is that uh, when I was a kid, my dad, he signed me up to play tackle football. And I was a very small kid, small and skinny, probably weighed 65 pounds with the, the helmet, the shoulder pads, soaking wet. And, uh, and my dad, he even used to, he used to call me nicknames like Twig and Stick. And that was his way of trying to like motivate me to eat more. And it was all in good fun. Uh, but for some reason, though, as, as skinny as I was, I wanted to play defensive end. And if you know anything about football, or if you don't, you don't need to know much. What you need to know is that being skinny and being a defensive end do not mix. Okay, but one day, my dad, he showed me the movie Rudy. And I think I know what he was doing uh, now that I've gotten older, because Rudy is an inspiring story about a small, skinny guy who wanted to play defensive end for one of the top football programs in the country. So my dad, he showed me that video before my first game. It it inspired me to be a little guy taking on the big guys. And that's what inspiration does. It helps us to push through challenges. And that's exactly how the writer of Hebrews starts this section about running the race with endurance. Uh, Last week, Pastor Brandon, he took us through Hebrews 11, where we saw these inspiring stories of men and women in the New Testament who ran the race with endurance. So as the writer begins to describe the race that is set before us, he intentionally inspires us with these stories of others who've been down the same road that we're on, who've run the same race that we're running. And this leads to a very simple and practical action step right off the bat. If you want to stay inspired throughout your Christian life, and if you want to run the race with endurance, you need to spend time daily reading your Bible, surrounding yourself by this cloud of witnesses in your living room, at the coffee table, in your car before you go into work. Wherever it is, the writer of Hebrews is drawing inspiration for his audience from the Bible And that's where we should go to find our inspiration, too, if we're going to run with endurance. And on top of that, uh, I think we should also be our own cloud of witnesses. Notice the plural language here. Uh, Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us run with endurance. So if you're here this morning and you're a Christian, we are all running the same race on the same course together. It's a course of growing in holiness, boldness, love for others, and devotion to Christ. We're all in this together. And you know, one of the the greatest things about uh, running a race with a group of people or doing a CrossFit workout with a group of people is that you feel connected with them. Okay, you're going through a challenging experience together, You're overcoming obstacles together. You're supporting one another. And this creates this kind of special bond that you just, you can't manufacture any other way. And that's what Christian community should look like too. Our shared experience as Christians should grow us closer together. It should bind us together in love and camaraderie. And these shared experiences and these bonds of love and support, those will be things that help us to endure. So if we're going to run the race with endurance, we need to be inspired by both a heavenly cloud of witnesses and an earthly cloud of witnesses. And while running the race with inspiration, the next direction the writer gives us is to run it with repentance. He says, Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Repentance. Uh, Now, if you've ever run a long distance, you know that it's much harder to run when you've got a weighted vest on or 
a backpack on or any kind of extra resistance on your body. And if you were competing in a race, you would never, ever put a weighted vest on. Okay, you might do it while you're training, but never during a race because it could slow you down. And that's what the writer of Hebrews is warning us about here. He's warning us there are certain things weighing us down in this race that is the Christian life, and it's hindering our progress. But we're not only being weighed down, we're also being tangled up. Tangled up in our own sin. And if you think that running a race with a weighted vest on is challenging, think of how much more difficult it is to run with a weighted vest and a rope tied around your knees and your ankles. But that's exactly the position we can find ourselves in during this race. And it's crucial that if we're going to finish the race, that we repent of, or as the writer says, lay aside the weight and the sins. So, what are the weights and the sins that slow us down? Let's start with the weights. Uh, The scripture, it doesn't tell us exactly what these weights are, but uh, because weights and sins are two separate categories, these weights are likely things that are not sin. Uh, They may even be good things, but they still hinder our progress in the Christian life. Uh, So, for example, comfort may be a weight. Uh, Comfort is one of the biggest ones for myself, and I'm going to hang out on this one for a minute because I think that it's one that a lot of us uh, struggle with. We're raised believing the American dream, right? That the goal is to make a comfortable life for ourselves, and for our families. But the reason that kind of thinking hinders our progress in the Christian life is because Jesus never once said the Christian life would be comfortable. In fact, he said the opposite. In John chapter 16, verse 33, Jesus says, In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus, he promises us trouble in this life. And so as Christians, we should expect trouble rather than try to build a comfortable life to protect ourselves from it. And uh, just on the topic of comfort, I want to give us kind of a practical example of what this might look like in our everyday lives. In Matthew chapter 28, Jesus tells us to go out and to make disciples. Can we do this? First, the the first part of this process is sharing the gospel with people. Uh, But there are many Christians who they don't share the gospel with others because it's uncomfortable. And meanwhile, their co-workers, their friends and strangers are on a path to eternal separation from God in hell. Now, if it were comfortable to share the gospel with everyone you knew, I'm sure that you would do it, hands down, no questions asked, because you do want them to know Christ. No Christian doesn't want someone who's lost to not know Christ, and that's exactly the point. That if comfort is standing in the way of you sharing the gospel with someone, then you need to lay the comfort aside and share the gospel with them. And that's just, that's just one example of a weight, comfort. Another weight may be certain influences that you allow in your life. Uh, For the teenagers in the room, uh, and for some of us adults too, it could be the music that you listen to. It could be the TV shows that you watch that's filling your mind with certain things that uh, don't agree with how God has commanded you to live your life. A weight could be a career ambition. It could be a busy schedule that you keep adding activities to, and it gets in the way of the most important things. I may not have named your particular weight. Uh, The list is too long. We don't have the time for that, but I trust that the Holy Spirit is naming it for you. And, And if you find yourself thinking about it this week, what are some of these weights in my life? I think one practical way to identify these weights is to remember that 
the weights in the Christian life typically aren't the hard things. The weights in the Christian life are typically the easy things. Those are the things that hinder our progress. Uh, But it's not just the weights that we need to lay aside. The writer of Hebrews says we need to lay aside every sin that clings so closely. So, so what are the sins that, that cling so closely? Well, these sins are intentional sins. They're the ones that cling close to our hearts. And the writer of Hebrews, if you've been with us throughout this series, he's warned us about intentional sins several times throughout this letter, saying that we cannot continue intentionally committing the same sins over and over again and assume that we are saved. The expectation is that we should be living lives untangled from sin because Christ died to untangle us from it. So we need to stop seeing sin as some sort of guilty pleasure and start seeing sin for what the Bible says that it is, which is a death trap that may keep you from finishing the race. Repenting of every weight and sin is necessary to run the race with endurance. So after laying aside every weight and sin, the writer tells us where to focus our attention. And that's the the next direction. It's our our focus. He says, let us run the race with endurance that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith focus, looking to Jesus. Now, at first, when you, when you read this, you may think it's not super helpful, right? It doesn't seem practical to just say, well, just, just look to Jesus. But the writer of Hebrews is telling us to look to Jesus because there is power in fixing our gaze on Jesus. Do you remember in Matthew chapter 14 when Jesus is out in the middle of a storm and he's walking on the water? And his disciples are in a boat, also in the storm. And and Peter, he calls out to the Lord. He says, Lord, if it is you, command me to come out on the water. And Jesus, he commands Peter out of the boat and onto the storm-tossed sea. And as long as Peter's eyes were fixed on Jesus, he did what no man since has ever done. He walked on water because his eyes were fixed on Christ. He was focused on Christ, but when he took his eyes off Christ, he began to sink. So the writer of Hebrews, he's saying that we should be looking to Jesus because there is power in looking to Jesus. Now the word looking here is in the verb tense called the present participle active. Okay, and I had to look that up. I didn't know that. Uh, which means that you are actively doing something. And so what the writer is saying is that we must actively be looking to Jesus if we're going to run the race with endurance. But why? Why is there so much power in this? Well, it's because Jesus Christ himself ran the race with endurance perfectly. He is the example of of examples, a greater example of what it looks like to run with endurance than any of the Old Testament saints that we went over that were mentioned in chapter 11 last week. Whereas you and I and they get tripped up, Jesus ran the race from beginning to end without breaking stride, which is why he is the founder and perfecter of our faith. There is no Christian faith apart from God the Son stepping into human history in the person of Jesus Christ. There is no Christian faith if he doesn't live a sinless life. There is no Christian faith if he doesn't go to the cross and lay down his life and cry out, it is finished, before taking his final breath. There is no Christian faith apart from his glorious resurrection that promises us victory over our spiritual enemies. In other words, there is no Christian faith apart from Christ's endurance. Now, if you're like me, maybe 
you've had the thought cross your mind that Jesus had an unfair advantage while he was on earth. Because after all, Jesus is fully man and fully God, and you and me, we're just, we're just people. But did Jesus really have some hidden advantage? And I think the writer of Hebrews tells us no. If you remember in uh, chapter 4, verse 15, the writer of Hebrews, he said, We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So yes, Jesus Christ is fully God and fully man, but even though he is fully God and fully man, he doesn't use his deity as some kind of superpower to sidestep the struggles that we face as human beings. Instead, the Son of God, he took on human flesh to experience the human condition, not just walk around in a human body. And that's why we need to look to Christ. And what the writer of Hebrews says specifically to, to look to Christ on the cross. Because while Jesus was on the cross in the darkest moment in human history, in the most painful misery a person could ever experience, he endured. He finished the work that the Father sent him to accomplish. So merge very practically for us. We will run with endurance if we keep our eyes fixed and focused on Jesus. It doesn't matter who our president is. It doesn't matter if our leaders completely lose their marbles. It doesn't matter if the church in America, America gets her first real case of persecution, of Christianity that actually has some consequences to it. It doesn't matter if the whole world wants to shame us for being Christians. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 10, verses 21 through 22, he says to his disciples, Brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end, the one who endures, will be saved. And the good news for us is that no matter what comes, thick or thin, we will endure if we keep looking to Jesus. So be looking to Jesus daily. And there are very practical ways to do that, and you already know what they are. It's just a matter of, of doing them. We stay looking to Jesus through prayer, through gathering together for worship, or even worshiping in your car or in your home while you read scripture, memorizing scripture, uh, gathering together to hear the word preached, these foundational pillars of the Christian life are what lift us up to Christ and keep us dazzled by who he is and what he's done for us, and this helps us to endure. And this leads to the final direction the writer gives us to run with endurance, and that direction is to run with joy. While instructing us to look to Jesus, he implies that we should have the same joy set before us as Christ had set before him. He said, uh, Jesus, uh, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Uh, so, so what was the joy set before Jesus? Well, the text, it doesn't tell us explicitly, but I, I think the answer is hinted at in the position that the writer of Hebrews says that Jesus is in, and that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So with your Bibles open, if you'll flip real quickly with me to Psalm chapter 16. Uh, the book of Psalms is probably around the 40% mark of your Bible. Uh, Psalm chapter 16. And while you're turning there, uh, the reason we're flipping here is because the Apostle Peter, in Acts chapter 2, he says that David wrote this psalm about Jesus. 
And I think this psalm, it gives us some insight into the joy that was set before Jesus. So looking at at Psalm chapter 16, I'm just going to read verses 9 through 11 for us. David says this about Christ. Therefore, my heart is glad, and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to shale or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And so these few verses, they vaguely describe Christ dying, rising, and then ascending. Ascending to where? To the right hand of God, which is exactly where the writer of Hebrews says Christ ascended to and is now seated. And the psalmist tells us that at the right hand of God, there is fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. So I think that the the joy set before Jesus was, was accomplishing the work that the Father set him out to do here on earth and ascending back to be in the physical presence of God again. This place where there is unspeakable joy. There was literal joy set before Jesus. Now, here's the the challenging part for you and me, is that we haven't been there. Okay, we haven't been in the full, physical, unveiled presence of God, so it's hard for us to wrap our minds around just how amazing that joy is that Jesus was looking forward to. But the fact that this was on Jesus' mind while he was enduring the cross should tell us that it's going to be the most amazing experience we will ever know, and it is without question worth enduring for. So with that in mind, the writer of Hebrews, he's showing us that we should have this same joy set in front of ourselves, this joy of one day being in the full, unveiled presence of God. Now, like I said, uh, that kind of joy, it's hard for us to wrap our minds around, especially when we look at the brokenness in the world around us today, the, the brokenness in our own lives. But I think that's exactly why God the Son, He had to be the one who showed us that being in the presence of God is worth enduring for, because before He came to earth, He was already there. He was already in the presence of God where there is fullness of joy and pleasure forevermore. Just by way of illustrating this, my mom, she recently went to a cruise, went on a cruise to Alaska. So she's been blowing up my phone with pictures, and it's just, it's a beautiful place. Okay, some pictures, they look, they look so perfect, the pictures look fake. Like, it's hard to imagine that it's real. Uh, now, if she would have told me... Uh, that that Alaska was beautiful when she had never been there, I would have had a hard time believing her. Uh, But because she's been there, I know it's as beautiful as, as she says it is. And so in the same way, who better to tell us that being in the presence of God is the most amazing, joy filled place to be than the one who lived in that presence for all eternity, stepped down into human history, and gave his life so that we could experience it too. God the Son became the God-man in the person of Jesus Christ to bring men to God and to secure our place in His presence where there is joy, fullness of joy, and pleasures forevermore. And if we're going to run the race with endurance, we need to keep that joy, always anticipate that joy set before us. And I love what Charles Spurgeon says about the joy that lies on the other side of our endurance. He says this, In this world, a few drops of joy fall here and there, and there are sometimes showers of blessing, but up there, it is joy, joy, joy forever. There will not be room for a single doubt there, or for a fear. No, not even for one sad memory. 
There will not be room for a wish. We shall be so full of joy that we shall have all that we could ever desire. Every faculty of our body glorified, every power of our soul perfected, the life everlasting shall rush through us. We shall be filled with it, sunk in it, as in an ocean of infinite satisfaction and eternal content. That is the joy that we can look forward to, and yet that hardly even begins to describe it. So Chris, we can go ahead and start wrapping up. So Merge, our call to action today is to run with endurance the race that is set before us, because Christ endured for us. And here's what we need to get very serious about, church. Endurance is a non-negotiable in the Christian life. The writer of Hebrews, he's been telling us this throughout our journey through this letter. Endurance is not negotiable. The Apostle Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 12, he says, if we endure with Christ, we will also reign with Christ. You see the contingency. If we endure with Christ, we will also reign with Christ. That's how important endurance is. And when we endure with him, we will reign with him from the very right hand of the throne of God, where Jesus is now seated, where there are pleasures forevermore. And so my hope is that you will apply the directions that the writer of Hebrews has given you today to run with endurance and to finish well. And I hope that if you're here and you've been struggling in your Christian life, uh, giving Christ less than your best effort, I hope this sermon, I hope that it shakes you awake. This race, it isn't a walk. It isn't a jog. It isn't a, a go at your, pa- your own pace. Uh, the Christian life isn't about saying a prayer to accept Jesus into your life and then sitting at the starting line. This is the race of all races to be run with every ounce of your effort because that is how Christ ran the race for you. And so if, if you're struggling to run the race, here today, don't keep that to yourself. Sometimes it can be hard to be a Christian, and it's okay to admit that. And so it's it's important to get people around you to help you run that race with endurance. So um, I know that the elders here at Merge, if you're here, you're struggling, would love to to talk with you, to pray with you. I know that your friends here at Merge would uh, feel the same way. And so if you're struggling, don't leave this morning without asking for help and for prayer. And uh, Mark and and Keith and myself will just be in the back corner over there if that's something that you think you need. Now, if you're here this morning... And you're not a Christian. If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian... You need to understand where you're at. This morning we've been talking about running a race. That race is the race of the Christian life. But you are also running a race. Jesus, in Matthew chapter 7, he describes where that race is headed and what it looks like when you cross the finish line. Jesus calls the path that you're on the broad road that leads to destruction. It's a place of eternal separation from God 
is the place of eternal misery. And you are currently sprinting there, even if you don't realize it. See, our sin separates us from God. Your sin has set you on this path of destruction. Your sin instantly puts you there. And there is nothing that you can do to get off this path on your own, but that is exactly why Jesus Christ went to the cross. If there were some way that you could make yourself right with God, he never would have sent Jesus. God sent Jesus to save sinners. Jesus lived the perfect life that you could never live. He died in your place for your sins, taking the punishment that you deserve upon himself. And Jesus, he rose from the grave three days later, proving that he is God in the flesh. And he longs to carry you from that road that you're on that leads to destruction to a different road, a better road, a road that leads to life. The road that leads to eternal joy in the presence of God. And the way you get set on that path is very simple. If you're here and you're an unbeliever, you need to hear this. God loves you so much that he made the way very simple for you to be saved. And it's this. Confess that you are a sinner. Confess that your sin is a serious offense to God. And confess that you need Jesus Christ to save you because he's the only one who can. You can't do it. And put your faith in Jesus as the Lord and Savior of your life. And when you do that, you are saved. And what, what you do after that is you trust his word. You believe his word and you live by his word no matter the cost. You endure with him because he endured for you. So again, if you're here this morning and you aren't a Christian, I want you to hear my heart, and I tell you this out of love. There are really two options of, of where you can, you can go this morning. Option number one is you can choose to continue on the path that you're on, which is that broad road that leads to eternal misery and separation from God in hell looking to Jesus, looking to the cross, and him pouring out his life for you on the cross, that cross like a giant billboard saying, don't go this way, turn around, you can look to Christ and you can still choose to go down that same path. And I hope you won't take that option this morning. Instead, I hope you'll choose to put your faith in Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior of your life. And you'll be saved. And you'll join this Christian race that we're in, this Christian life. The race isn't easy, and it's not always safe. But God will be with you. We will be with you. And you can always look forward to that unexplainable joy and those pleasures forevermore in the presence of God. So... That isn't something to put off to another day. If the Holy Spirit is pressing into your heart that you need to be saved, then you need to do that now. You need to put your faith in Jesus Christ. And, uh, and if you want to talk with someone about, about what that looks like, please come talk with uh, Mark and Keith and myself. We'll just be over there in the back. And with that said, uh, I love you all. So let me, let me pray for us. Father God, just thank you for your word. We thank you for the power of your word. We thank you for the directions in your word. We thank you that we can trust that if we follow these directions, we will run with endurance. And with the power of the Holy Spirit that you've given us to live out this Christian life, to run this Christian race every single day, until one day we stand in the full unveiled presence of God 
and we get to experience the joy that you sent your son to bring us into. I pray for every person here, every person here who's a Christian, that we would walk out of the doors this morning with hearts revived, our legs strengthened, our lungs strengthened, and we would run this race with endurance. We would keep our eyes fixed on Christ. I pray that no person would leave this room without their faith in Christ. I pray that throughout just our weeks and our lives this week, all of us would be drawn to Jesus. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your love, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.